Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're going to get a little judgmental. We're going (laughs) to get into the afterlife and uh, the final judgment. So today we're looking at James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Okay, so I'm going to start the conversation by bringing out something you talked about on Sunday. So you said that heaven's a lot more fleshy than we think it is. Can you flesh that out? Yeah, yeah. So there is a profound misunderstanding that I had for most of my life. I think just about all of us have, uh, particularly here in the Bible Belt, about heaven. We think that when a brother or sister in Christ passes away, that they go to heaven, and that's forever. And it's it's not forever. Um the place of those who have left this earth as believers in Christ and who have been called home to Jesus uh, is what theologians would call the intermediate state. Now, I want to be very careful because some people will take that that term, intermediate state, and say intermediate heaven. That's not what we're communicating. We're not communicating degrees of heaven and all those sorts of things. What we're saying is the Bible clearly teaches that there will come a day when Christ returns— and he ushers in what is called the palingenesia, the, the, the renewal of all things, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that is what theologians call the eternal state. So the eternal state is much different from the intermediate state. The intermediate state right now, what happens um, if a Christian passes away? The weight of biblical teaching is that at the moment of the Christian's physical death, their spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. The Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi that he he desired to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So that's why he could say to live as Christ and to die as gain. So the Bible teaches that at the moment of death, our spirit goes immediately to be with Jesus and to be with those who have gone before us. The Bible talks about the, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. So Uh, Theologian Russell Moore says that heaven is defined in Scripture as the dwelling place of God, a place inhabited by the angelic armies, the redeemed of all the ages, and the ascended Jesus himself as he awaits the consummation of his kingdom. So that's what we would call the intermediate state, but that is not forever. 
And so, yes, that is very ethereal, very spiritual. You know, when, when I die, my body will remain here, but my spirit will go be with the Lord. My body will be uh, presumably embalmed and buried, that sort of a thing. But we're waiting for the return of Christ. And that's when things begin to change. The Bible says that when Christ returns, our bodies will be raised from the grave. And, and of course, people ask me all the time about cremation. And listen, if, if God could make Adam from dust, then I think he can take care of a resurrection body coming from dust. So yeah. that's, that's not an issue. But when Christ returns, our bodies will be raised. And in, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we really have this um, amazing depiction of what that's going to look like and how that will, will, will happen. Um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I love that he says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we look forward to that. We look forward to that time when we are clothed with flesh. The, the, the Bible talks about our yearning to be clothed. So, so when, when our spirits are separate from our bodies, there will still be this desire to be clothed with flesh. But that flesh will be different from right now. Uh, our bodies will be imperishable, incorruptible, um, immortal. And we can't understand that right now because every day that I get up, I look in the mirror and I'm getting older. I mean, I've got crow's feet. And if I take my glasses off, my eyes are starting to look different. And, you know, it's just we all deal with the reality that our bodies just they, they sometimes fail us. You know, there are things that we can't do. There are injuries that we have to fight through. And there are illnesses and diseases that we have to, to work to overcome. And that will not be the case in the eternal state. So, so I think the most important thing is this. When Christ returns, we are raised. There's a new heavens, a new earth. God will descend to the new earth to dwell with us in the new Jerusalem. It's going to be amazing. Um, but I say that that heaven, the eternal state, is a lot more fleshy and a lot more earthy than we think it is because we've all gotten in our minds that it's angels floating around playing harps on clouds. Well, the intermediate state is very ethereal, you know, but the eternal state, we will have bodies. We will eat food. Jesus ate food after he was raised from the dead. He's the prototype. He's the firstborn from among the dead. We'll be able to, to touch things and be touched, and, and it's going to be a whole lot more tangible than what we've all imagined. Yeah, so in some sense, would it be correct to say that it's like a restoration of the Edenic state? 
So in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, um, the Bible talks about Jesus, quote, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all the things. And that word actually in the Greek is apokatastasis, which means restoration, as in restoration to original standing. So, so God will restore the earth. Uh, he says in Revelation chapter 21 that he is making all things new, mm. not all new things. Mm, yeah, and it's vitally different. I, yeah. I, I really, John Eldridge was the one who pointed that out to me through um, one of his books. But he's making all things new, not all new things. And so, imagine the glory of creation that we can enjoy now, but unstained by sin. You know, imagine nature with zero effects of pollution. It, it, it's just it, it boggles the mind. We see glimpses. You know, we see these great wonders of the world. Um, but they're all stained by sin. And the day will come when it will not be stained by sin any longer. And I think that the purity of that is going to be great. You know, in, in talking about a restoration of Eden, um, the only problem with Eden is that there was the potential for sin, mm. and, and that came in. And so the, the enemy was there. Well, the enemy will not be in the new earth. The enemy will have faced uh, his judgment and and being cast into the abyss forevermore. Um, so there will be no potential for sin in the eternal state. So, so yes, it will be a return to an Edenic sort of a state, but it'll be even better than the Garden of Eden. Wow. So James writes to his audience that the rich are foolish to lay up treasure in the last days. So in other words, my understanding is that material wealth has always been a worthless pursuit, but it's utter folly for the unrepentant to chase wealth when the coming of the Lord is at hand. However, Jesus hasn't returned yet, even 2,000 years later. How is James's warning about living in the last days credible, especially now so long after he wrote it? That's a great question, and it's an important question because we're talking about two millennia, yeah. uh, 2,000 years, and so there are plenty of people who say, ah, see, God said he was coming. God said Jesus was coming, and it hasn't happened yet. And, and Peter speaks to that. He says, um, keep in mind that for the Lord, a, a day is as a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is as a day, and the Lord is not slow about fulfilling his promise, but rather he is being patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. And I think that that's such a beautiful revelation of God's heart that he wants all people to come to Christ and be saved. And he is being patient because it's just like with Noah and the ark. One day, the ark door was shut. God shut the door and the rains and the floods came and the day of mercy was over and the day of judgment had come. Well, we are still in the day of mercy because Christ has not yet returned. But as soon as that trumpet blows and Christ returns, the day of mercy is over and the day of judgment has come. Um, the last days were really inaugurated with the coming of Christ, his cross, his resurrection, the ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Theologian John Polhill, who used to teach at Southern Seminary, said that they are the last days in that the coming of the Messiah, long predicted in the Old Testament, has now occurred. His saving death and resurrection have been accomplished, and now the work of the Holy Spirit in building the church is a key event in the history of salvation that needs to occur before Christ returns. And so God is at work, but because Messiah has come, we are in the last days and have been in the last days for 2,000 years and will be in the last days until that point at which Christ returns. But, but keep in mind, um, so many want to scoff at the fact that he hasn't returned and use that as evidence that, that, that it's not true. Well, actually, the Bible tells us that what his not having returned yet is truly evidence of 
is the mercy of God towards sinners who have yet to repent. Mm. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of Genesis 15 when God is telling Abraham about what's going to happen to his children. He says that they'll be in a land that's not their own and be oppressed for 400 years. And that doesn't necessarily make sense, and the timeline doesn't make sense until they leave during the Exodus, and it says it's to the day afterward. Um, and at that point, the chronology made sense, you know, the, the order of things made sense, but it didn't make sense at the time to Abraham, probably. Yeah, that's right. Not much made sense to Abraham, and yet Abraham trusted the Lord enough to follow him. Yeah. Uh, didn't mean he didn't have questions. Didn't yep. mean he and Sarah didn't try to take matters into their own hands a time or two, but uh, he trusted the Lord enough to follow him, even when he didn't have all the answers to all his questions. Amen. So that takes us into our listener question for today. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the show notes and click the link in the description or just comment in the comments. So today's question is, in our Sunday school class on Sunday morning, a verse of our focus scripture was Psalm 1-5 that reads, Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Someone asked, so the wicked won't even be judged? They will just be sent straight to hell? I believed I knew but didn't say out loud that those whose names are not in the book of life, aka the wicked, will not face judgment but be sent immediately out of God's presence. Then we, the righteous, through Christ's blood, will be judged. But then I opened to this week's passage in James 5 and read the heading, Rich oppressors will be judged. So then I was glad I hadn't said anything because what I thought in Sunday school might not have been correct. Could you help clarify? Is the heading in my Bible just incorrect? Are the oppressors in James 5 part of the saved, but the saved behaving badly? So there are several questions in there, Jeff. I think the the main questions are, are the rich oppressors in James 5 believers and are both the righteous and the wicked judged in the final judgment? So I love this question because, number one, it's coming from someone who's in a Sunday school class or a Bible study class who is taking their Bible study very seriously, who is seeking to interact meaningfully with the text. And I'm going to tell you, that's how we grow. And so I love this question because it's so thoughtful. Um, Let me me offer two answers. Uh, The first question really is, are the rich oppressors in James 5 believers? We know that James is writing to believers. He's writing to the dispersed tribes. Um, But most commentators Note that in at the beginning of James chapter five, James kind of switches uh, his audience, even though his audience is staying the same. In other words, there were times in the Old Testament when prophets would speak prophetically to those who were outside of God's people, but they were saying those words to God's people. Uh, James is doing the same thing here, I think. He's speaking prophetically to those who are outside of Christ, these rich oppressors who are not in Christ, but he's writing these words, uh, effectively speaking these words to God's people to differentiate um, between those who belong to God and those who do not. So I do not think that the the rich oppressors in James 5 are believers. So that, that first answer would be no. The next question is really, are both the righteous and the wicked judged in the final judgment? And the answer is yes. 
You think about Matthew 25, Jesus talking about the final judgment, and and you have all the people together, and the judge separates the sheep from the goats. And so the sheep are the righteous, the goats are the wicked. The sheep are those in Christ, and the goats are those who are not in Christ. And it's evidenced by what they did unto the least of these. Those who have been transformed by God's grace took care of those who were sick and hurting and imprisoned and all those sorts of things, because in, in doing those things, one, they were doing them to Christ, but they were allowing the the Spirit of God to flow through them to compel them to do those things. Those who were outside of Christ did not. They they took care of themselves. They didn't care about others. And that was evidence that the Spirit of God was not working in them to compel them to care for Christ. Um, So yes, we both, believers and unbelievers alike, appear before judgment. And I just I want to read from Revelation 21, beginning with verse 11, about the, the great white throne judgment. John writes, uh, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." Well, there is the description of the day of judgment, that we will all appear. And in fact, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we are judged according to our works, and Revelation 20 tells us that those works are recorded in books. But notice... There's another book that is opened. It is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Hmm. And notice that there are books for the deeds of the people, but there's the book of life for those who are in Christ. And I want to remind us of a a few uh, passages that tell us that although we will stand before God in judgment, if we trust and follow Jesus, our sins have already been judged and condemned at Calvary. So Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake... He made him to be sin, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And then Jesus himself said in John twenty or John chapter five, verse twenty four, Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come unto judgment, but has passed from death to life. So the idea is this, we stand before judgment to do one of two things. We stand before God in judgment either to have our deeds recounted to us and to give an account and and to say, yes, all that is true and I deserve condemnation. Or we stand before judgment in Christ. 
our sin having already been judged at Calvary when Jesus died for us. Now, there's also some sense in which Christians uh, will be judged, um, evaluated for the stewardship of what we've done with all that God has entrusted to our care. And the Bible talks about levels of reward for Christians uh, in glory. And so that's, that's a different conversation. But the idea is this. We will either have, have our deeds recounted or the fact that our name is in the Lamb's book of life and our sin has been forgiven. Recounted. That's what's going to matter on the day of judgment. So I would just say to anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you've never given your life to Christ, repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus alone for your everlasting salvation, that's what it takes to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Um, do that today because we never know when our life will come to an end or when Christ will return. So I would just encourage people, trust Jesus now. Uh, don't delay. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Um, the Lord said, seek me while I may be found. Well, I know he can be found right now, so I'm going to come to him in faith. Jeff, thank you. That was so rich and so full of helpful details. Listeners, if you want a little more detail on some of these subjects, if you look in the show notes, you'll find a link to our website where there will be extra resources where you can go a little bit deeper into these subjects. Um, Jeff, thank you for making those available to us. Can you pray us out for today? Yes, sir. Let's pray. Lord, the great hymn writer said that our faith in Jesus gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And we're so thankful for that hope that does not fail us. We're so thankful, Lord, that this world is not all there is, but for all of us in Christ, there is everlasting life. Not because we're good enough for it, but Lord, because we have surrendered to you, Jesus the one who died, that we might live. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged by these truths. These are, these are not things that we've made up. These are, these are the truths taught by your Bible. Thank you for teaching us clearly. And help us continually have a better understanding about what awaits us when our life on this earth comes to an end. And for those who are not in Christ, Lord, I pray that they would come to you. Your arms are open to receive them because what awaits them is hell and separation from your goodness. But Lord, you'll receive them now. You'll forgive them now. So may they come to you. Help us, Lord, be the sort of people who extend that gospel invitation to everyone. Lord, that people might come to Christ and be saved. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.